The Monday edition of Locked On NBA. Biggest stories, local experts of the Locked On Podcast Network. Our first stop today will be Los Angeles with Harrison Fagan of Locked On Lakers about the whispering between LeBron and Lonzo and where the Lakers stand right now toward their offseason plans. Number two stop will be in Toronto where Vince Carter made his final visit and Sean Woodley will tell us about the Raptors who've won 9 of 10 and their rebuilt offense. And our final stop will be in Houston with Ben DeBose of Locked On Rockets about the Rockets. Rockets who just keep winning. It's the local experts in the biggest stories, as only the Locked On Podcast Network can give you. Today's show is brought to you by SeatGeek. Use the promo code LOCKED after your first purchase. You'll get a $20 rebate from SeatGeek. We're also brought to you today by Blue Apron, the number one food delivery meal kit delivery service out there. You can use the promo code Lock NBA, but no E, L-O-C-K-N-B-A, to get $30 value on your first purchase. Let's get to it. The biggest story. The local expert, as only the Locked On Podcast Network can. You are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. The Los Angeles for stop number one on the biggest stories. Listen to shows regularly ranked up there in the most popular podcast, one you probably should add to your list. Uh, but Harrison joins us. And Harrison, are you a mouth reader? Do you know what was mumbled behind jerseys as the biggest story in the NBA? No, I'm actually I am a horrible lip reader and it's been to my own personal detriment in my life. People try to like be subtle and tell me things and I can't read it. And so especially once LeBron put his jersey up, it was 100 percent over for me. I was not going to be able to get that. What's your take? Important message. LeBron trolling the media. What's your feeling? I mean, my whole thoughts on it was he he got mad the next day that it kind of leaked out what he had said because somebody picked up a hot mic from somewhere else. And my thing is like like it's kind of twofold. Like, yes, NBA players should have a right to have private conversations. Of course, they should be allowed to talk to each other privately without it being leaked. But if you want to do that, don't maybe don't do it on the court with like one of the most highly publicized rookies in the NBA and make a big show of covering your mouth with your jerseys to make it clear that it's supposed to be secret while everyone in the media is speculating that you're going to join his team. Uh, I just think like, I mean, this, LeBron, he, he knows what he's doing. And I, I think he knew what was going to happen when he did that. He had to know. He's a smart guy. The number one story last week was the piece that the Lakers would be a big stretch for them to get LeBron. Uh What's the feeling inside L.A. and your feeling around the possibility of LeBron being a Laker next year? So my thoughts on LeBron being a Laker, it's kind of complicated. You know, I I believe it more than I did when the scuttlebutt started to kind of leak out. Like it was around after the trade deadline last year that if I remember correctly, that that there started to be these whispers that maybe LeBron would consider L.A. And there were like kind of allusions to it in various pieces from plugged in reporters. And then enough people have talked about it now that you can't really ignore it as a real possibility. But I think to say that it's the most likely outcome would be disingenuous. And I think 
that mo- I don't think that there's a, I don't get the great sense that Laker fans or like, you know, like people in the organization just like expect he's coming or anything. I think that there's a hope among both groupings that he's coming, but I don't think anybody is treating it as like a certainty at this point because they'd be foolish to. They're like the, the Cavs are probably a better. I mean, they've shown that they can make it out of the East at least each year with him. And then like now there's the Rockets that have been really, really good. And people are talking about, can they make the cap moves to get to get enough space to land LeBron and I, I they're just and then the Sixers are kind of a dark horse people have been talking about so I, I don't think that it's a certainty by any means that he ends up a Laker but I also don't want to dismiss it out of hand just because they're young and bad because I think they've showed that they can compete with teams and if he has a chance to team up with another superstar like a Paul George or something on the Lakers roster I think that that's definitely something he'd have to look at especially as he ages all right so that gets to the question why would he want to play for the Lakers I think the only Anthony and I actually discussed this on Monday's Locked On Lakers as well. I think if you're going to make a basketball argument, the only one that you can make that they're the best situation is cap space and that he and another super super friend decide that they want to team up in L.A. and they want to play. They want to have be flanked by Brandon Ingram and Lonzo Ball and like the rest of the Lakers young guys. But it would have to be with another superstar coming. I just can't see any way that he would join on for a, just kind of a rebuilding team without another superstar to kind of push them to that next level. Like LeBron would automatically make the Lakers a playoff team, but I don't know how good, how far they'd be able to go with just him. They need someone else. Okay, this is where this gets interesting, is that the Lakers, as we sit here right now, do not have enough cap space for two max contracts. They would have to trade. No, they do not. Everybody just kind of like Magic just keeps saying that they do, and so everybody just kind of takes that as fact, and it's not. They still have to do stuff. They would have to trade Luel Dang, really. And the question is, what are they willing to put in a package for Luel Dang? Like, if they're getting LeBron and Paul George, would they trade Brandon Ingram with Luel Dang so that they can have that opportunity? How far are they willing to go? to open up this cap space and make themselves available. So I think the real question is how far is, almost is LeBron willing to go? Is that a move that he's endorsing? And I, I don't think that they're going to do any of this stuff preemptively. I think this is going to be one of those things like it was uh, when LeBron came to Cleveland where he, you know, he, he – very much interviews these teams as much as they're interviewing him about, okay, what kind of roster and what kind of plan can we put together? And then I think if they had an agreement in place where, okay, so if you can free up this amount of cap space so that Paul George and I can sign here, then I will sign on the dotted line. And I don't think, I, I don't think the Lakers are going to just like, trade Brandon Ingram alongside Luol Deng just to get more cap space. I think that they're going to have to have a pretty strong indication that they'd be able to sign someone like LeBron, like Paul George, into that cap space before they were willing to do that. Because Ingram's been really good, and that's not a guy you just want to throw away for nothing. They're sur- I, I can't imagine them trading Lonzo Ball, even as bad as his shooting's been. They just seem to be so in love with him. I just can't see that happening. And then the other guys that you, you go down the roster, like Julius, like Jordan Clarkson's not getting Luol Deng's, you out of Luol Deng's contract. Uh, you know, Julius Randle's a restricted free agent. Kyle Kuzma, I think that there would be some reticence to just toss him out the door. And so it's, it's kind of tough. All right, but let's walk through this from a general manager standpoint. If you make this move at the trade deadline right now, then, and you lot, you move, you could, might be able, you move Kyle Kuzma and, Luel Dang, right now, 
you might be able to get that done if someone really thinks Kyle Kuzma is a starting four, stretch four in the NBA. If you wait until LeBron announces his intentions, then the other general manager has you over the barrel. And then it probably has to cost you Brandon Ingram. Like In other words, if I'm another team and I really like Kyle Kuzma, right now I'm saying, you know what, I might do that deal, Luel Deng, for Kyle Kuzma because that's pretty good for me. But if it's July 5th and LeBron's just announced he's going to L.A., I'm not doing it unless I get Brandon Ingram. I think I see what you're saying, but I think the flip side of that is that if the Lakers do this and they trade another young prospect to just get out of a contract and then they sign no one this summer, then I think that I think they're ha- even as beloved as Magic Johnson and it is in L.A., he's going to start to catch some criticism if they do that. And so I I think that would be a tough move to make. I mean, I see what you're saying, but they've already they've already moved out. From under Russell, from under Mozgov, by using Russell, and I know he was like a polarizing guy. But if they actually move one of these guys that's like beloved and a fan favorite, and then they don't sign anyone, I think that would be a tough thing to justify this summer. Final thing: Lonzo Ball in the month of December is at least shooting forty-one percent. His three-point shooting is up from about twenty-five percent to twenty-nine percent. These are still not numbers that are acceptable. He's at thirty-three and twenty-seven. Historically, there's never been a player that's become a decent shooter. It starts like this. How concerned are you on the Lonzo Ball front? I'm not that concerned. I'm definitely not as concerned as most people because he does so many other things well that if he can just get like an acceptable shot, then he's going to be really, really good. And even if he continues to struggle like this, he's still a pretty good player. Like he's already kind of a transcendent passer. He's avoiding turnovers as a rookie, even with kind of as many crazy passes as he's already making. And he's playing pretty good defense, especially when you consider that he's like a 20 year old rookie and he's rebounding the ball. Well, he's put, he's completely changed the pace that the Lakers play at. It's become cliche to talk about this Lonzo effect that he has on a team, but I do think that there are certain things in the way that he runs the team and the way that he moves the ball that do offer intangible benefits to your teams. And so I think the shooting concern stuff, I, I, I know what you're saying about it's unprecedented that a guy gets good after this, but he just kind of needs to be okay. Harrison, great work. Keep up the super work with Lockdown Lakers. And thank you for being our lead story today for the whispering on the biggest stories local experts locked on NBA. Thanks for having me, David. Harrison and Anthony do a great job at Locked On Lakers. Today's show brought to you by SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the way to buy tickets to any show, event, whatever you're heading toward, because it's modern technology making everything easier for you. First, it's on your phone. You download the SeatGeek app. Go over to the settings tab, enter in the promo code LOCKED. Now when you find the first purchase you want to make, you'll get a $20 rebate. Why SeatGeek? They compile all of the tickets in one spot for you. I remember the days where I used to drive down to downtown Salt Lake City, talk to one guy, then make three phone calls, wonder if I was getting the best deal. Now they're all at one place for you on your phone. Second, there's a ticket score on every single ticket to tell you what the best value is. This is particularly great if you're on the road and don't know a venue. And third, it's secured and there for you on your phone. Easy peasy. SeatGeek, the ticket app, revolutionizing how you buy tickets. You can also set price alerts for future events. And remember to go to the settings tab, use the promo code LOCK. So download the SeatGeek app now and use it like I do as your place to get all your tickets to future events. 
Heading north on our second stop, and we're going to talk a little bit about the Toronto Raptors, who very quietly, in the midst of the Houston Rockets, who we'll talk to with Ben DeBose in a second, and the Cleveland Cavaliers hot streak, and the Boston Celtics incredible start, are also playing fabulous basketball. But first, uh, Sean Woodley joins us, locked on Raptors, and Sean, Vince Carter returned back to Toronto. What, what was that scene like and what may very well have been his last visit there? Yeah, it's been kind of weird the last couple of years whenever Vince has come because there was a game a few years ago where the Raptors hosted Memphis when he was still with the Grizzlies. Sort of honored him. There was kind of, It was kind of the day where closure happened with the whole Vince Carter thing. They had a nice tribute video, uh, and any sort of bad feelings that might have existed were kind of washed away then. I expected the last three or four games Vince has played here to be the last game, and then he just keeps coming back and playing more. Um, so while it feels... Again, it was probably his last time here. There was always kind of that little inkling of like, okay, maybe he's going to play next year, but he's never going to retire. Uh, but it was really great to see what uh, Dave Yeager did in the game. He took Vince out with like 30 seconds left in the game uh, to you know give Vince a proper ovation. And I finally feel like you know there's not any more animus. When when Vince was announced he was going to be the starter yesterday, there was a big uh, you know ovation for him as well when he got introduced. And you know in the past there'd be sort of a mix of boos and cheers. It's kind of all washed away at this point. I think the Raptors being good has probably helped that uh, and sort of the bad feelings have washed away. And the Raptors have five years of winning under their belts now where, uh, you know, Vince Carter isn't responsible for much in terms of, you know, bad feelings or anything like that. So it was great. It was a nice way to say potentially goodbye to Vince. And eventually one day his number is going to be retired in Toronto. I would not be shocked if it happens not long after he retires. They might wait till after Kyle Lowry and DeMar Rosen are done and they can do their numbers first. But Vince is definitely going to be up in the Raptors at the ACC one day. We look around the NBA and you have this just from, you know, from low run to, not low run, but, you know, Corey Joseph and to Andrew Wiggins and to, there's just all these Canadians that are in the NBA. And it, it seems as though if you ask them, what happened? The answer is Vince Carter. A lot of people like to say Steve Nash, but it sounds like the Canadian basketball explosion was Vince Carter. It's 100% Vince Carter. Yeah, I mean, the the, the Steve Nash thing, it's, uh, you know, it, he was really great for a good time there, and he had a wonderful run where he sort of, you know, kept Raptors fans who might have been disenchanted with the Raptors for a while there when the Raptors were really bad in the mid-2000s. Steve Nash might have held on to some fans, but most of those fans are created by Vince Carter. And, you know, for me, my, my, my personal experience, my first ever NBA game, Vince Carter dropped 47 points on the Milwaukee Bucks, and that's the reason I'm an NBA fan and not an NHL fan or anything else. Uh, it's why I, I cover the Raptors today is Vince Carter. And, that, you know, Steve Nash was great when he was with the Suns, but he was playing out in the West Coast, and you, know, you can only watch him a certain number of times a year. Vince was everything for a long time there and brought the first sort of pace of success to Toronto. Um, and you're seeing it now, just sort of, you know, there was the documentary that aired at the Toronto Film Festival this year uh, about Vince Carter and the Carter effect and how he sort of transformed the basketball landscape up here. You have R.J. Barrett, who's probably going to be the first overall pick in 2019. Uh, you know, he's, you know, credits Vince Carter as well. Um, and just the wave of talent and the sort of the, just the upstart sort of nature of basketball in Canada is all Vince Carter. And that, that extends to a really robust blogging culture up here. There's like a lot of just people who became Raptors fans right around the time Vince came into, came into prominence and were very jilted when he left, but I think they've come back around because they realize the importance that he's had to just the growth of the, of the sport up here. Well, I've been probably president of the Raptor fan club, picked him as the number one seed in the East when the year started, then saw him in person and liked him even more. 
what are they? They've won nine of ten. What's going right right now for the Raptors? Kind of everything, uh, and in a way that I wouldn't have expected it would have happened at the start of the season. Because coming into the year, they lost four veterans to free agency over the course of the offseason or trades to sort of offload uh, extra money. And they were going with a roster that was two-thirds guys on rookie deals. Uh, and I would have expected that maybe one or two of those guys would hit coming into the season, but it's been pretty much all of them. DeLon Wright was hurt for a little bit, but he's come back, and he's looked really good the last couple games. Jakob Pertl, Pascal Siakam, Norm Powell. Uh, Powell's probably struggled the most out of the young guys, but even he's had some moments. Uh, and then OG Ananobi, who wasn't even supposed to be playing until right about now, about mid-December, early January. Uh, he started from the regular, started with the team from the start of the regular season and is now a starting small forward for the team and has been really good. He's shooting like 45% from three. Um, and everything's kind of working from the young guy perspective. When I would have thought maybe one or two guys would really pop, they've all kind of hit in their own certain ways. And then the offense, like I wasn't expecting the Raptors to be able to change their offense. I thought they were kind of married to their personnel. I thought DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry were very good players, but I was kind of, you know, I was pretty certain that the way they've been playing offense the last couple of years was just how you had to play offense with those two guys as your best players. And I was wrong, and I will to- totally eat that crow because they've been incredible. They've adopted the new system incredibly well. They've moved up in the terms of you know assist percentage and three pointers taken and three pointers attempted and three pointers made um, and they're just they're they're really sort of embracing the new style of offense. Everyone's involved. Um, you know you might have heard Damari Carroll over the course of the offseason when he left saying how there was just no trust between DeRozan, Lowry, and the rest of the, the role players on the team. And there seems to be that trust this season. They're deferring a lot more you know liberally. Uh, they seem happy to sort of get guys involved. Jonas Valanciunas has kind of had a bit of a rebound the last few games here. And the, the, Larry and DeRozan really seem to be trying to get their guys going, uh, which is a big departure from the past. So uh, it's been really encouraging. I didn't expect they were going to do this this quickly, but they're back up to being a top three or four offense in the league. Uh, and I would have expected it might have taken longer to get there. But they, they've, just, they, they've adopted the new system wonderfully well, and that's kind of the reason for their success, I think. And in the last 15 games, I believe that the number one defense in the league. Yeah, it's, uh, the defense has been awesome, too. It's kind of been an understated thing. Uh, and it's hard to say because the schedule of late has been super fluffy. Uh, they've played some of the worst teams in the league, and I think that probably helps their, their numbers overall. Uh, but, yeah, the defense is really sort of honed in. Yesterday they held the Kings to 30 points in the second half on 33% shooting. Uh, that was after giving up 62% in the first half. But uh, that's besides the point, I guess, when we're talking about the defense. Um, but, yeah, the defense has really come around. They just seem to have a lot of guys who – are, are just good defensive players, which might not have been the case in the past. OG Ananobi's been much better than what he, maybe you would have expected from a rookie defensively. Jakob Pertl might be the best defensive player on the team. Serge Ibaka has been really good when he's played center for the team. Uh, I believe the Raptors are holding teams to about 96 points per 100 possessions when Serge Ibaka is playing at the five. Uh, and it's just been a really sort of good cohesive unit, and everyone, especially the bench unit, when they're out there, they're impossible to score on because they're just poking balls free, they're jumping passing lanes, and they can switch across a bunch of positions, especially when DeLon Wright is available. Uh, So, yeah, it's it's all coming together for the Raptors right now, and it seems very under the radar. I I still think there are probably some fans who are going to wait till the playoffs to really pass judgment on whether or not the changes are going to stick, but for now, they've looked, uh, I think, a lot better than people would have expected through 28 games. The final thing for you, Sean Woodley, from Locked on Raptors. I always ask this, kind of from 30,000 feet, we can kind of look at what's going on. You may have touched on it. But what's something that's taking place that by being with the team each and every day locally as the local expert, uh, you're aware of that maybe is being missed from a big-picture standpoint? Uh, you know, James Herbert, I think, for CBSSports.com wrote a really great piece. He was actually on an episode of Locked on Raptors last week to talk about it and how the Raptors have gone about changing their offense. But 
I do feel like some people kind of dismiss the idea of like, oh, the Raptors changing as like a thing that can't happen because they've been the same team for so long. Um, but I think, you know, just the, the, the commitment to the offense, offensive changes, and I think DeMar DeRozan's play in particular, maybe that's the thing that's gone unnoticed because DeMar DeRozan has been fantastic this season. Uh, his playmaking has gotten significantly better than even last year when he was sort of at his career best doing that. Uh, I believe he's averaging a full assist more per game than he has ever at any point in his career. Uh, his per 36 assists are up as well. Um, and he's, he's really looking to sort of get guys involved. And even his defense, like, you know, he's, he's still to Marta Rosen on defense, and there are a lot of games where he kind of takes off. But, you know, he's also had games where he's really locked down and locked in. And I think DeRozan is kind of proving a lot of people wrong, and myself included, because I didn't think DeRozan Rosen was going to be capable of being a guy who plays like this. I just didn't think it was possible for him considering his skill set, but he's done it. And it's been really impressive. So maybe DeRozan's continued growth as a player is probably the most undercovered thing about the Raptors this season because, you know, there's a lot of press about the young guys, and Kyle Lowry continues to be Kyle Lowry. But DeRozan has continued to grow very quietly in the NBA uh, and I'm not sure people are really seeing it, but you know, when we're here in Toronto, it's everything. Demar Rosen, he's just kind of he owns the team at this point, uh, and that's totally okay because he's really, really good. Sean Woodley of Locked On Raptors, local expert on the biggest stories. Raptors winners of nine to ten. Vince making his final appearance in Toronto. Sean, thank you very much. Thanks, David. Final stop will be in Houston, but first, let me make sure you know about Blue Apron. Blue Apron is treating Locked On NBA listeners to their first three meals, a $30 value with your first order if you visit blueapron.com slash NBA without the E, L-O-C-K-N-B-A. Blue Apron is the leading meal kit delivery service in the U.S., and while many people know what Blue Apron does, they may not know how fabulous the meals are. Short rib burgers with a hoppy cheddar sauce on a pretzel bun, preparing seared steaks and thyme pan sauce with mashed potatoes, green beans, crispy shallots, all in under 45 minutes without a trip to the grocery store. Why? Because it's convenient. They deliver fresh, pre-proportioned ingredients, step-by-step recipes right to your door, and it all can be done in under 45 minutes. We've done it with the kids, really enjoyed it. They have great flexible plans for you. They offer 12 new recipes every week. Customers can pick two, three, four recipes based on what best fits their schedule with the two-person meal plan, the family meal plan, or the wine plan. It's all taking place at Blue Apron, and they send only non-GMO ingredients and meat with no added hormones. It is delicious. It is fun. The kids have done it, and they didn't screw it up, so I know you can handle it. Blue Apron is treating you to your first three meals, a $30 value with your first order if you visit blueapron.com slash LockNBA, no E, L-O-C-K-N-B-A. So check out this week's menu and get your $30 off, blueapron.com slash LockNBA. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. And our final stop on the biggest stories, local experts. Oh, it's you again. Ben DuBose locked, <laughs> locked on Rockets because the Rockets don't ever lose. They still have not lost when Chris Paul plays. Uh, will they ever no. lose when Chris Paul plays? Probably. It's pretty amazing that they've got 14-0, which, according to ESPN, is the longest streak of a, new, of a player with a new team since the box scores were created in 1970. Actually, they haven't lost since the last time I was on Locked on NBA, so it feels like I was just on, but if they keep winning, uh, it's not like you can turn me down. Yeah, I have I have to have you on, uh, and you do a great job. All right, I, I prepped for them recently because we played them, and went back and looked yep. at my numbers. And when I went back and looked at my numbers, what I saw was this was the the first version of the Warriors that 
they're leading by 25% of the time, by 10 or more in the second half. Actually, it was 50% by 10 or more, 25% by 20 or more. I mean, that those they, the only team I've seen that did this the first time around was that Warrior team. Do you see them as that level of team, that first great Warrior team? I lean to yes from the standpoint, I find that analogy of the expectations being somewhat minimal. Because, of course, the Warriors, the Kevin Grant version of the past couple of years, you just had so much overwhelming talent in the standpoint that everyone fully appreciated just how great uh, Curry, Thompson, and Draymond were. And then, of course, you had Kevin, and it's one of the greatest teams in NBA history. That first Warriors team is a parallel I've come to as well because it was a team going in that people were excited about but no one really saw them as truly dominant until the game got going. And then you just sort of had to, you know, that was back in the 2014-2015 uh, season, you sort of had to rejigger your expectations. And that's what it feels like with this team. Because the most amazing thing about the 13-game streak, which is, what it, which is what it is as we're talking today, you've got this 13-game streak, and there hasn't been a single game in there that I've even felt they were going to lose with two minutes left. There's been a couple in there that they were down in the fourth quarter, courtesy of the Rockets having a bit of an off night, other team playing, in the case of the New Orleans game, insanely well. But, um, yeah, other than Portland, New Orleans, there have been games in the fourth quarter that were in doubt. And even those, it was clear by the two-minute mark that the Rockets were going to win. So that's the most amazing part to me. It's not like, you know, it's not like just a random winning streak in which, say, they're just having a lot of clutch play like, say, that Boston streak earlier this year. When you look at the margin, they're not just winning these games. They're pretty much dominating most of them. And I think it culminated uh, Friday night with a big win over the Spurs. That was the Spurs team with Kawhi Leonard. You uh, look back at the, the great 72-win Bulls team, uh, Showtime, Lakers, Warriors. That, that's the level, by the way, statistically for everybody, where this Rockets team is. The, the great Oscar Robertson, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar Bucks team, uh, the the those you know the early seventies Lakers Bucks the Showtime Lakers the Bulls the Warriors the, the dominant teams of all time those teams uh, if we go to the Warriors recently would kind of have that five minute flurry where they just knocked you out the Bulls would do it defensively for five minutes what are is there a similar aspect to the Rockets where they just hit you with a flurry and it's over. Yes, and it's usually the beginning of the fourth quarter. Sometimes it can come as early as the second, but where they knock you out, it's very unconventional, but it's with the second unit with Chris Paul leading it. Because one of the reasons, and I believe we talked about this the last show, the philosophy of the Rockets in bringing in Chris Paul, it wasn't just the integration of those two players, uh, Chris Paul and James Harden, the two stars, but it's about having a Hall of Fame level point guard out there for all 48 minutes. And what ends up happening in a lot of these games, David, is early in the second, early in the fourth quarter, when you have, they take out Chris Paul about halfway through the first and the third, then they bring him back to lead a second unit with Eric Gordon, and there, there's just too much firepower for for what amounts to the reserves of the other teams of the NBA around that. That's when they, you know, that's when they issue their knockouts. And I think in general, Chris Paul deserves more attention than he's getting. You've heard a lot made around the NBA of, you know, LeBron James is 32, and it seems like he's almost beating the aging curve. We're, we're seeing the same thing in Houston with Chris Paul. Chris Paul is 32, and there's an amazing streak. As of Saturday, he's now scored 20-plus points in his last six games. David. That is the first time that he has done that since the first six games of the 2009-2010 season. So, yes, at age 32, somehow, you know, we talk a lot about LeBron beating the aging curve, 
but Chris Paul is as well. He's been very explosive. He's doing all of the leadership stuff, the defense you would expect, but he's also been very explosive as a scorer, and that's been a big deal in A, keeping them dominant, and then B, in the past week, it hasn't been the best week by James Harden standards. He's still been good, but he's been dealing with a few things. He got need in the cap in Portland. Then he took an awkward ball in San Antonio, almost missed the, the game the following night with a uh, bruised knee, also had a bad cold. So the past four games, Harden hasn't been himself, but it almost hasn't mattered because Chris Paul, in addition to all his normal stuff, has been that explosive, explosive a scorer himself. So I would say, yeah, the, the, the difference with the Rockets, their flurry, it's the Chris Paul led second units, and then just in general, I would say Chris Paul has been much better than I think even Optimus could have reasonably expected, particularly coming off the knee injury that he had through the first month of the season. Chris Paul was the headliner. They added Bamute, who I know is out with a separated shoulder. They added P.J. Tucker. Ryan Anderson they held on to instead of getting Carmelo, which is looking smarter every day. Um, and, in fact, I think we did a show where I literally asked you, like, why would they go get Carmelo? Um, <laughs> yeah. The what? How is, has the integration of the bench worked, and why has it worked? I think it works generally because of the, the flexibility. The thing is, and they miss Bob Musa now because with him out, uh, it looks like only a couple of weeks. I think they dodged a bullet there, but they can mix and match to get the best results because, of course, you know you. You know, you have your long, rangy defenders, such as Bob Mute, and of course you've got Ariza in the starting lineup. Now, if there's one concern, it's that is getting a little overextended due to uh, Bob Mute's absence. But of course, it, you've also got the, uh, the more bulldog, stocky, strong types like P.J. Tucker, and to, a less, and to a lesser extent, Eric Gordon. So you can sort of mix and match depending on the opponent. I think that's a big strength of that bench. Uh, Tucker had a bit of a slow start to the season. He's gotten going lately, which has been a great sign, especially with um, Bob Mute's injury. And then the best thing for them recently has been uh, off that bench, Eric Gordon getting going again. Because I think we talked the last time the Jazz were in Houston, David, and this is before Chris Paul came back. And you asked me what was going to happen when Chris Paul came back. What did that mean for Eric Gordon, who was playing so well? And the first few games of that – he shot terribly. He went through a 10-game stretch, I believe, from about like the 12th of November to the 9th of December, where he shot like 33% from the field and 20% from three. And I never thought it was that Chris Paul-related. A lot of it just, you know, he was missing open shots for whatever reason. But the past week, this homestand that they're on, he's picked it up. He's shooting about 50% from the – he's shooting over 50% from the field, almost 50% from three. So that's been the best sign as far as that bench lately. You know, Chris Paul leads the way. But finally, you're starting to see Eric Gordon getting going from an offensive standpoint. Final question I always ask is, what is it on the floor that you're seeing that the local expert sees that the rest of us from 30,000 feet don't uh, see? But I have a specific thing I want you to talk about. I listened to your okay. show the other day, and you did a, you had a bunch of days off, so you did a really interesting show on playoff Harden and how the inconsistencies that everyone's highlighting in the playoffs are actually not any different than what he's done in the regular season over the years. Can you kind of give people the quick take on that? You don't have to give us the whole 30-minute show again. Just right. a quick take. Right. I thought it was a really interesting point because I'm sure that as the Rockets roll, the conversation's going to move to can Harden be a good playoff player? Tell us what your research showed. Yeah, what really – bothers me about that narrative is how people ignore the team concept. Because, of course, in from the standpoint of superstar NBA players, you're strongly judged by your results as a team. And if there's something that 
we take of the James Harden era Rockets, i.e. when he's been the superstar, when he's been the alpha dog, it's that the Rockets in the regular season are strongly correlated with who they are in the playoffs. They have not lost to a team with a worse record in the playoffs, and they also they, they haven't beaten a team with a better record. So that's why I'm really not a fan of this whole situation of saying, well, the Rockets are great, but what's going to happen in the playoffs? No, we have seen to this point who they are in the regular season, and that, that includes Harden as well, is who they are in the playoffs. Last year they beat the Thunder in five games. They were eight games better than the Thunder in the regular season. They lost to the Spurs in six games in the second round. They were six games worse than the Spurs in in the regular season and lost four of six in the playoffs. So you're not seeing any worse team results. And as far as individual games, look, I argue, and I like that you used the analogy that your last um, – show with Quinn Snyder the last time they were playing the Rockets, asking him what makes James Harden great. My thing about James Harden as an individual, he doesn't have that elite physical trait. Uh, maybe his deceleration is the closest thing, but what makes James Harden great is his mind. His game is so cerebral. He doesn't have that one quality, so to speak, like LeBron with his power, Russell with his quickness, Stephen Curry and Kevin Durant with their shooting, Durant combined with his size. Harden doesn't have that one elite thing. It's his mind. And that's great. It doesn't diminish what he's doing. But my argument, David, and I think you see it in the regular season as well, there are certain games, if he's not getting the calls, if if his shot is off in the past, and the one good thing this year, he is shooting the ball better. So if he makes the leap into an elite shooter, maybe he does have that elite physical trait. But just in general, and I strongly urge you guys to see the full show, that's, uh, you know, playoff Harden. You can search it on our new Locked on Rockets website, LockedOnRockets.com. But, um, yeah, in general, David, it's it's that with Harden, there's just some inconsistent games from time to time where he doesn't have it. They happen in the regular season as well, but people just don't fixate on it. They look in the playoffs. But those of you that think that there's something different about Harden in the playoffs, look at his overall numbers, look at the team records. There's nothing to suggest that playoff Harden is appreciably different than regular season Harden. It's just who he is as a player, what makes him the you know, the MVP candidate that he is, there's a different physical and mental makeup than a lot of the guys we compare him to, the Currys, LeBron, Durant, Westbrook, et cetera, et cetera. And so I just think for, for him, there's a, different, um, there's a different barometer being used. And I think all you really need to do is take a step back and just look at the team results. The regular season Rockets and the playoff Rockets are pretty much one in the same thing. So that's why I really don't like the narratives going around that are expecting the Rockets to somehow turn into something different once the playoffs roll around. Well, if they're the same thing this year, it's sure going to be exciting. Ben DeBose, Locked On Rockets. Thank you very much. Local expert on the biggest stories. Thank you. Thanks to the crew, Ben Harrison and Sean, the great Locked On Podcast Network hosts. Make sure you subscribe to your local Locked On Podcast show. And remember, there's a Locked On Dot com for each and every one. Locked on Rockets, Locked on Raptors, Locked on Lakers.com. All available for you now as well uh, on the Locked on Podcast Network in coordination with our good friends over at FanRag Sports. Kevin Pelton scheduled for later this week, so it should be a good one on Locked on NBA, part of the Locked on Podcast Network.